You're listening to The Desk Set, a bookish podcast for reading broadly. We're your hosts, Emily Calkins and Britta Barrett. And on this episode, we're talking about KCLS's best books of the year and what reading in 2020 looked like. So was it a little different for you this year? (laughs) It was a little different for me. I was just talking to a friend uh, last night about what I read this year, and I have finished 48 books. My my challenge or my goal for myself was 75. Um, So I'm a little below, which is not that surprising. But more than that, what I noticed in myself was a real narrowing of the kind of thing that I was willing to stick with. I picked up and put down way more books than I normally do this year. And it's interesting because I probably have talked about on the show before that like a lot of times what I want is like a fluffy, happily ever after romance. But for me, that didn't always work this year. Like I didn't want something that was too happy or too easy, but I also didn't want something that was too intense or too dark. So it was a real um, narrow slice of stuff that that was really appealing for me. And um, I found lots of good things in that slice that we'll talk about when we talk about best books. But it definitely was a weird a weird year to be reading. There's just so much going on, the pandemic and the election and the Black Lives Matter protests and all of the other things going on that I often found myself reading the news more than I was reaching for fiction and even nonfiction. How about you? Absolutely the same on like all counts. Um, I read like half as many books this year as I did last year, which we should put into perspective. Uh, As librarians, we have sort of a skewed idea of what is a lot or not very many books to read in a given year. But for sure, just like concentrating on reading a book was harder, which is something Mm -hmm. that I didn't expect. My nose was buried in, in reading news. And when I was looking for nonfiction to read, wasn't necessarily looking for like, I don't know, an adorable book about what we can learn from jellyfish, even if, you know, that book made the charts this year. Escapism is great and totally fine if it works for you, but it just didn't feel right is kind of the best way I can describe it. I was looking for books that would like immerse me more in learning about the world around me and my part in it. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you say like we have a skewed view of how many books is a lot to be reading. That's totally true. Like I will say right now, I did not finish the 10 to try challenge this year. And it's my, like, that's part of my job is, is designing that challenge and, and creating it and promoting it and helping people find titles to read for it. And I just could not do it this year. It was really, I just really had to find the things that worked for me. And it wasn't, it didn't line up with the challenge this year. So I tried tend to try, but 2021 is a new year. Um, and yeah, I just, it was a real, it was just such an interesting year to, to be alive, but to be reading too, you know? And if you dear listeners had the same experience, please just be kind to yourself and give yourself permission to have survived along with all of us and have read anything. Yeah. And to celebrate the things that you did read, even if you, like me, for a while only read subtitles on a television show. That is 
for like a month, I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to read the subtitles on this German television show. I'm not going to read a book. If you did finish the 10 to try challenge, you can pick up a finisher button. Um, you can do that as part of your curbside or contactless services. So when you use the My Libro app, which is the way to book an appointment to pick up holds, you can make a note there that you'd like to pick up a 10 to try finisher button. And if you would like to enter the grand prize drawing for 10 to try this year, which is a stack of books chosen for you by a librarian, uh, you can take a photo of your finished bookmark and send it to 10 to try at kcls.org. So it's the numeral one zero and then the words to try at kcls.org. You can also log your reading online with the our online reading platform. And the easiest way to access that is to go to kcls.org slash 10 to try. And there's a link there that will get you connected. And you'll automatically be entered into the drawing if you log that way. So one way that reading was different this year for a lot of people is that uh, maybe your local library was closed for a period of time and you shifted more to reading digitally. Was that your experience, Emily? Yes, definitely. I mean, so our KCLS libraries were closed for about three months and that was true for staff as well as for patrons. So we could not get into the buildings to get our hands on physical books. Uh, so I made very good use of Libby, which is the app that you can use to read our overdrive collection, read and listen to our overdrive collection. Um, and it's great because there are tons of adult books on there, of course, but there's also lots of children's books. So I have Libby on my phone, but I also have it on our family iPad. And we checked out lots of picture books to read with my three-year-olds, as well as books for me to read and listen to. And if you are someone who has spent a lot of time binge watching television this year, we also have streaming platforms for that too. Uh, Canopy has an amazing selection of like indie movies, documentaries, world cinema, and Hoopla is another one that has movies, TV, uh, music, but also comics, which is a, a great way to read both for adults and kids your favorite comics and graphic novels. And now we are happy that we have curbside service in action. There are a few locations that even have like 24-7 library lockers. You can pick up curbside printing at many locations. We're back in action. And at some point in the next year, we'll probably also be inviting the public back into our buildings at a reduced capacity. But TBD on that date. Yes, I think we're all really looking forward to the day when we can have people back in our buildings browsing our shelves. And I know as a reader, I'm excited to be able to go into a library and browse shelves. In the meantime, if you are looking for that experience of serendipity, our libraries are offering surprise bags as well. So check out, um, again, My Libro, which is the app that you can use to schedule your book, book pickup and you can request a surprise bag through there. And, and it's a nice way to sort of get that feeling of discovery, even if you can't browse the shelves yourself. And if you want something that's a little more customized, you should totally check out Bookmatch. Yes. So Bookmatch is our online book recommendation service. So if you go to kcls.org slash bookmatch, which is spelled exactly how it sounds, you can answer a few short questions. And in about a week, you'll get a list of suggestions picked just for you by a librarian. And then you can put them on hold and pick them up at your library. So many ways to help you find your next favorite book. Absolutely. That's what we're here for, especially now uh, when there's so much other stuff to wade through. So now we're excited to have a couple of other staff members join us to talk about our best books lists for the year. 
So to talk about our best books of 2020 list, we have a couple of librarians joining us today from our branches. Uh, Vicki, can you introduce yourself? Yes, I am Vicki Huggins. I am the children's and teen librarian at the Kent Panther Lake Library. Awesome. We're so excited to have you with us. And we also have Rachel here. Hi, I'm Rachel Adams, and I am the teen services librarian at the Des Moines branch. Great. So we're really excited. Britta and I read a lot, but we're not super well-versed in teens and children's literature. So we're really glad to have you here with us to talk about those lists. So I thought we could start just each of you kind of reflecting on the list. So let's start with you, Vicki. Um, tell us about the children's list. What did you notice about the list this year? So this year, there are so many authors and illustrators who are people of color on our list, which is awesome, particularly Black authors like Derek Barnes and Gordon C. James from I Am Every Good Thing, Lisa Klein-Ransom from Overground Railroad, Omar Mohammed, who tells his story of being a refugee in Kenya in When Stars Are Scattered, and Jacqueline Woodson from Before the Ever After, with many, many more. There are also indigenous people represented with We Are Water Protectors by Carol Lindstrom. And this is really a larger part of publishing trends in children's literature. One of the things I really noticed about the middle grade titles on our list is a willingness to let them end without fixing everything. Books like Finding Words by Kimberly Brubacker Bradley, and Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson, We Dream of Space by Erin Entrada Kelly, and again, When Stars Are Scattered. They confront the reality that not everything can be fixed. We can't keep our parents from arguing. Um, Fighting Words has, it's a pretty tough book about kids who were sexually assaulted, and that doesn't change overnight. And it, it's just great for kids to know that, you know, things can improve, but it doesn't necessarily magically change and fix everything and things take time. One thing I noticed on the adult list that I'll talk about a little later, but I'm wondering if you see it on the children's list is like some old favorites, like some authors and illustrators who show up you know, they were on the list last year, maybe, or in years past. I'm wondering if you see any, you know, sort of perennial favorites on this list. Yes, we have multiple. Um, we have some new authors, but we also have like Derek Barnes and Gordon C. James. They are the authors of Crown, Ode to a Fresh Cut, which is an awesome book. We have Catherine Applegate with her sequel to The One and Only Ivan. Um, it's The One and Only Bob. We also have Dan Santat, who is a Caldecott medalist for the adventures of Beagle, the un unimaginary friend. And he is an awesome illustrator. I love him. Um, we also have um, Victoria Jameson, who is an amazing graphic novelist. And... Oh, so many of them. Jacqueline Woodson. She has been around forever and she is great. And there was one more. Oh, Erin Entrada Kelly. She has so many great books and she is a Newbery winner of um, Hello Universe. 
So lots of authors that we recognize from previous lists and some of our book lists. One thing that I noticed this year on the children's list is that we have some authors on the children's list who are also on the teen list, which I think is the first time that that's happened. Um, So there are a couple of them. Uh, Ibram Kendi is on the children's list with Anti-Racist Baby and on the teen list with an adaptation of his National Book Award winner for adults. The teen version is called Stamped, um, and then it has a subtitle. And um, Candace Fleming, who's writes nonfiction is also on both the children's list and the teen list. So I think this is a good time to bring in our teen services librarian. Rachel, what do you notice about the teen list this year? So great question, Emily. So first of all, I want to say that I think this list is awesome. Um, I think it really represents a wide berth and variety of teen literature that came out this year. Um, There are lots of different formats. There's graphic novels. There are nonfiction titles. There are books in verse. There's funny books, fantasy. So I really think there is something for everyone and really every reader on this list. Um, I also can see a lot of trends in young adult publishing um, that were occurring this year that are also showing up on our list. Um, Some of those themes that I am noticing on the list are things like queer empowerment stories um, and specifically main characters of color who are also LGBTQ+. Um, So these stories are sometimes funny, sometimes they're a little more serious, Um, There are books that are memoirs, and there are some that are also graphic novels. So we have books like Flamer, which is a graphic novel, and it's also a memoir about the author's um, time going to a Boy Scout camp and kind of... um, kind of recognizing his sexuality. Um, We also have other just straight up memoirs like All Boys Aren't Blue. Um, And then we even have funny books um, like You Should See Me in a Crown, which is kind of a little bit more on the humorous rom-com side. Um, Another theme that I'm noticing is really um, books that are looking at racism um, in institutions and also in our society. Um, And also looking at kind of the history of racism in this country and really those effects on teens and how teens are pushing back against this racism. Um, I think that's obviously tied to the Black Lives Matter kind of movement. And and again, there are nonfiction and fiction titles in this category. So Stamps, for example, is one of those. Um, We also have a fiction book called This is America, which is about a girl who's writing letters um, to the Innocence Project or the Innocence X Project, I think they call it in the book, um, about trying to help and get her father out of jail, who's been wrongly convicted. Um, So again, kind of tied to this racism um, theme, there are also a lot of books on this list um, that are looking at the immigrant experience um, and sort of the experience of teens coming to this country um, and really giving voice to those teens who often struggle moving to a new place or kind of looking different from those around them. So we have graphic novels like Almost American Girl, which is about a girl who I believe moves from Korea um, with her mother to the United States and sort of her first year here living in the United States. And then we have historical fiction books like We Are Not Free, um, which looks at the Japanese internment um, through the eyes of 14 different teens. Um, And I think kind of one of the last themes um, that I've noticed, um, if this isn't hopefully too many, um, is that there are um, a lot, especially I feel like in fantasy, um, there are a lot more um, main characters of color or authors, um, own voices authors um, being published this year, Um, particularly in fantasy. I felt like that was like um, a really big theme this year. So there's books like Ray Bear 
which is kind of based in African folklore, and all of the characters are um, predominantly Black. And then you have Black Girl Unlimited, which is sort of a magical realism type book um, about a girl who um, kind of thinks or imagines that she's a wizard, or maybe she is a wizard in real life. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, and then there's Cemetery Boys, which is sort of based in the Bruho Buha um, witch um, kind of theme. Um, and it also has an LGBTQ plus um, character as well. So those are some of the themes I kind of noticed. And again, I really think this list is super diverse in format and um, has some really great stories. Um, and I think it's a super list. Great. Thank you. Britta, let's talk nonfiction. Do you see any of those same themes from the children's and teens list on the nonfiction list? Absolutely. The nonfiction list very much speaks to the zeitgeist of 2020, the election, Black Lives Matter protests, and living through a global pandemic. So even just the titles, Rage, Alone Together, (laughs) and Hello, I Want to Die, Please Fix Me kind of exemplify that. We see books on the Trump administration, mental health and self-care, community, connection, mutual aid, and anti-racism and identity for sure, from caste, which takes a historical view of systemic injustice in the U.S., to me and white supremacy, which invites the reader to examine how they may be benefiting from or upholding white supremacy and practices for dismantling that, and hood feminism, which highlights the lack of intersectionality in white feminism and discourse and opportunities to better address the needs of people of color. What about fiction? Yeah, the fiction list is really interesting this year. Um, I see some of those same themes. So we have, um, again, you know, a a decent representation from writers of color, um, a couple of actually more than a couple of novels by Black women, um, some of which deal more directly with themes of uh, race and racism and others of which uh, that's sort of more tangential. Um, so we have Jasmine Guillory's Party of Two, which is a romantic comedy, but does nav- does sort of tackle some of these issues of race and privilege. Um, we also have Transcendent Kingdom by Yad Jassi and uh, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. I will say when I started assembling this list, I sort of had this idea in my head that the list was going to be full of comfort reads because when I talked to people about what they were reading this year, that's what I heard a lot of. It's like people saying like, oh, I'm reaching for what's familiar. I'm reaching for romance. I'm reaching for things that make me feel good. In our um, book recommendation service book match, we got a lot of requests for like light, fun, happy And so I was really expecting to see a lot of that on the list this year. And there's definitely some of that. We've got, in addition to Jasmine Guillory's book, um, Undercover Bromance, which is part of a bromance book club series that's really cute and fun and light. Um, But I see more... more variety, not as many of those like fun and feel good things as I thought I might see. But what I do see a lot of on this list is like things that are familiar. So authors that we know and love. In addition to Jasmine Guillory, we've got Louise Penny's book on here. We have Tana French. We have um, Chris Bajillian's The Red Lotus, um, which is kind of a thriller, but he's sort of a perennial favorite. Isabel Allende, Allende, obviously like really well known. Um, so I think there was sort of this sense of like, oh, we want we want kind of like a known quantity. Um, the other thing that I see a lot of on here is celebrity book club picks. And my, my suspicion with this is that it's also pandemic related because I think that people were 
really overwhelmed this year. I know I was really overwhelmed this year and having someone else tell me what to read was kind of nice, right? Like it's kind of easy if someone who you already trust is like, yes, please read this great book. I've already vetted it for you. It's a good one. So we have three Reese Witherspoon book club picks. We have three from Read with Jenna. We've got an Oprah book club pick, two from the Good Morning America book club and one from the No Name book club. So lots and lots of sort of big, online book clubs um, showing up on this list this year. And then the other little trend, two other small trends I see. Um, one is books about librarians and libraries. Like we cannot resist, unsurprisingly, librarians can't resist stories about librarians. So we have Upright Women Wanted, um, which is Sarah Gailey's uh, sort of future dystopia Western with queer librarians. We have Weather by Jenny Offal, which is also about a librarian. And we have Matt Higgs' The Midnight Library, which is kind of a speculative story where the main character is living in kind of a purgatory situation and every book on the shelves of this magical library is a, a potential life that she might have led. The other little mini trend that I want to short, shout out, and I don't know if two really counts as a trend, but in the, I think it's five years that I've been sort of leading, putting together this list, we've never had a horror title on the list. And we have two this year. Um, so we have uh, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia's Mexican Gothic. This was actually the number one vote getter. We assembled the list partially through staff votes, and this was the number one most voted for title. Uh, and we have um, The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. So two own voices, horror stories, um, which again, I think people just wanted something that would grab them. And for some people, what grabs them is a romance with a happy ending. And for some people, what grabs them is a book that's going to keep you so immersed and so freaked out that you uh, don't end up reading the news for once. You get to stay. You get to stay in your book. Um, so those are kind of the big trends that I saw on the fiction list this year. So I thought that maybe the next thing we could do is each of us just share a couple of favorite titles. So I think we'll go around. Um, we'll start with Vicky and just do one, and then we'll go around again, and you can share a second one. So Vicky, what's your first favorite that you want to share with us? Okay, so my first favorite is from the picture books on the list, and it is called Lift by Min Lee and Dan Santat. And it just made me laugh out loud, so I had to talk about it. So Iris loves to push the buttons for the elevator in her apartment building. She gets to do it every day until one day her little brother gets to it first. Betrayal. Suddenly, she finds that he keeps getting to it, and her parents think it's awesome, but she does not. So when she finds a discarded elevator button and tapes it to the wall next to her closet door, she thinks that she's just going to push it for fun. But what happens when she pushes it is that it turns her closet into a magical portal to places like the jungle and outer space. It's a great story of imagination and sibling relationships. It has graphic novel style panels and a lot of them don't have any text. So it means that there's about half and half where the story is told through the art and half where it's told through the text. And it's just a great book. It's so much fun. And I just love Iris's face when her little brother pushes the button and it just has a big word, betrayal. So that's my graph graphic novel-ish picture book pick. 
Yeah, I love that one too. That was definitely a favorite uh, in my house this year with my three-year-olds. Um, I think probably partially because there's a new baby and then she's getting used to, you know, betrayal and parents uh, giving attention to other other people. But yeah, great, fun illustrations. Awesome pick. Thank you. My two older kids also love that book. I think any kid with a sibling, um, a younger sibling, will totally love Lyft. So the first book I'm going to talk about um, that was one of my top favorites was Dragon Hoops by Jean Lewin Yang. So this is a nonfiction graphic novel, um, and it's about the author um, and kind of follows him as he follows the basketball team at the high school that he teaches at. Um, And he kind of follows as the team rises in the ranks and eventually makes it to the state basketball championship. Um, The book sort of reads like a sports documentary. Um, So there are, of course, tons of sports scenes and plenty of sports action for those who love basketball. Um, But then intermixed with that, you also have interviews with the players and the coaches. Um, And I really like that part because you really get to know the players' lives and the coaches' lives and get to see some of the struggles and also discrimination that a lot of the players of color face off the court. Um, And it kind of just makes the story a little bit more personal. So then mixed in with all of that, then you, of course, have lots of facts and history about basketball that are also kind of dropped in kind of very covertly between these interviews and action sports scenes. Um, Yang also includes himself as a character in the story. Um, So there are sections about him struggling as an author and a parent and a teacher. And I think this part really adds another layer to the story and kind of gives insight into why he wanted to write about this basketball team. He even admits he's not into sports um, himself. And I think having him as a character really shows how kind of this basketball team inspired him and kind of inspired him to overcome a lot of his own obstacles that he had in his life. Um, And of course, it's a graphic novel. So we have to talk about the pictures. Um, They are completely colorful and compelling. And I really think um, this is a great format for kind of a sports story because the pictures help to portray some of the excitement about the basketball game and also really show a lot of the diversity in the players and coaches on the team. Um, And I want to say that I am not a sports fan. I am not a sports follower. Um, But this book really spoke to me. Um, So Yang is superb at really showing how um, and why sports are so important and how being on a sports team can really be a vehicle for inspiring courage, um, unity, and really a catalyst for positive change. So um, even if you're not a sports fan, I would totally recommend Dragon Hoops. And if you are, I would completely read it. Maybe that's a good pick for fans of one of last year's best books. Yes, totally. It's very similar. Um, Yeah, completely similar. I think if you're a sports graphic novel fan, this is a great choice. Yeah, I wanted to give a little shout out to a comic on the adult list too, which is called I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf. Could there be a more librarian pick? Um, Which features these like cute, funny, relatable comics about being a bookworm and writing. And I think it would just make a great gift for anyone on your list this year. So if you're someone who loves reading comics, you absolutely have to check out the library service Hoopla. It's got streaming movies, television, music, but it's also got comics, which is great if you don't want to buy every individual issue of Lumberjanes or something like that. There are so many that you can get on demand. There's no waiting. So you can pick up uh, I Will Judge You by Your Bookshelf that way. And it's part of like this greater micro theme of books for book lovers. Emily, you spoke with... uh, 
librarian Nancy Pearl about her book, um, The Writer's Library. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Sure. So the Writer's Library is a collection of interviews that Nancy um, Pearl did with her friend Jeff Schwager. He's a playwright. And they traveled all over the country interviewing authors. And they specifically asked them about their reading lives, which is something that surprisingly authors don't get asked about all that often. So it's wonderful interviews. They sat with people in their homes, um, in places that were important to them. So they talked to Louise Erdrich in the bookshop that she owns uh, in Minneapolis. And they just said, like, what did you what did you read as a child? What writers are important to you now? All kinds of interesting questions. It's a really charming book uh, that celebrates reading and how joyful and fun reading is. And it's another one that I think is a nice gift because you can kind of dip in and out of it. And many readers will find at least one writer that they know and at least one writer that they're not familiar with. So there's a little familiarity and a little surprise in that one too. Um, That's The Writer's Library by Nancy Pearl and Jeff Schwager. Okay. So first, let me say that I had a really hard time narrowing it down to two picks and every book on the best books list. All 100 titles, I think, are worth picking up. But my first pick that I want to share with listeners is Transcendent Kingdom by Yad Yassi. So it's a book about Gifty. She's a PhD student. She's studying neuroscience at Stanford. And as the book opens, her mother is arriving on a plane from Alabama. She is in such a deep depression that she basically can't take care of herself. And so her pastor has put her on this plane to come and stay with Gifty. So as from there, the book kind of goes back and forth from Gifty's present and her life in the lab and her trying to figure out what's going on with her mother to her childhood growing up in Alabama. Gifty's parents are immigrants from Ghana, and her father eventually goes back to Ghana while her mother stays. And Gifty's older brother is a high school athlete with an injury that leads to an opioid addiction. This is such a gorgeous book, and I feel like it kind of flew under the radar a little bit this year. Uh, it's full of really big ideas. It it talks about race. It talks about faith. Um, it talks about addiction and depression and sort of grapples with these ideas of like, what are we fated to become and what do we have the choice to become? Where does free will into play into this? But all of these big ideas are grounded in this one very real flawed character. Um, for me, Gifty was just like, one of those unforgettable characters who stays with you. She's smart. She's curious. She's also sort of deeply wounded by what she's lived through in her childhood. And so she's kind of prickly and she pushes people away, but she's not unkind. Um, And yeah, just a really lovely, beautiful book that I picked up and put down a lot of more difficult things this year. And so even though this one had some heavy themes, I found it um, really engaging, beautifully written. Okay, Vicki, tell us about your second pick. Okay, like you, I had a really hard time narrowing this down. There are so many great chapter books and graphic novels and middle grades on this children's list. But my personal favorite was We Dream of Space by Erin Entrada Kelly. It's 1986, and the whole world is watching as the space shuttle Challenger prepares to launch. Bird has big dreams of going to space, partly because she loves figuring out how things work and putting things together, and partly because space is quiet and her home is not. Her twin brother, Fitch, is struggling to control his explosive temper, and her older brother, Cash, 
has been held back and is doing seventh grade again with his two younger siblings, which is very embarrassing for him, obviously. And he feels like he's not good at anything. Their parents are always arguing. And even though they live in the same house, their family just doesn't seem to be in the same orbit. They all seem to live in separate spaces and do their own thing until the fateful day of the Challenger launch changes their lives in unexpected ways. Kelly is great at writing kids' emotional lives in a way that makes it feel realistic. Uh, Her characters feel like they could be actual seventh graders. It's all told from each sibling's point of view, and each character has their own voice, which is something I always look for if you're going to write it from different characters' point of views. And it's it's just a great book. Um, I think most adults are going to know what happened to the last Space Shuttle Challenger. Kids may not, which will give them some suspense, but even if you do know about that, it I don't think it really changes how you experience how these kids experience that event. So I think it's a great read and a great pick if you like historical novels. As hard as I find it to believe that 1986 is a historical novel, it is. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a great read. Great. Thank you. How about you, Rachel? Again, echoing that I had a very hard time selecting two to talk about. I was like, oh, I could talk about so many on this list. Um, so, but I narrowed it down to one of my definite top five books this year, which is You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. Um, so it's about Liz and Liz has always done her best to basically avoid the spotlight. Um, she lives in a small, very wealthy and very prom obsessed Midwestern town. Um, she doesn't really feel like she fits in this town because she's um, one of the only people of color um, in the town. She's black and she's also pretty poor compared to the rest of the very wealthy people. um, And she is not obsessed with the prom. So she has decided instead to concentrate on her grades and her musical ability in hopes that it will get her a scholarship to a very elite college. Um, So she's kind of banking on the scholarship. And then, of course, the scholarship doesn't come through. And so now Liz is super bummed and she's kind of forced to try and find another way to find the money to be able to go to this um, college that she wants to go to. Um, And she finds the answer in her school scholarship for Palm King and queen. So her school gives out this very large, I think it's like $10,000 scholarship to the person who wins prom king and the person that wins, wins, excuse me, um, prom queen every year. So if Liz wins, she'll have enough money to go to this very elite school. So with the help of her friends and her brother, Liz decides to run for prom queen, um, which of course totally pushes her out of her comfort zone and then hilarity and very awkward situations ensue. Um, On top of this, Liz is also starting to fall for one of the other girls who is running for prom queen, and that girl's name is Mac. Um, And Liz really wants to get closer to Mac um, and kind of maybe start a relationship with her, but she also sees 
sees Mac as competition and an obstacle to her winning the scholarship. So there's definitely a little bit of a rom-com um, situation going on in this book as well. Um, Liz's voice is pure and authentic, and it's completely full of snark. Um, I laughed so hard sometimes when she was talking about describing um, the situations that she was in and kind of the other people at her high school. Um, I think a lot of teens will be able to relate to Liz because she's just such a likable and charismatic um, character and her snark is very teenage. Um, I also think that a lot of teens and readers will enjoy this book because there is so much other good layered stuff going on in the story. So on the surface, this book um, seems very light and fun, which it completely totally is. But there is also um, a lot of deeper issues um, being looked at and kind of mixed in with the humor of the story. So things like LGBTQ plus representation, dealing with anxiety, racism, stereotypes. Um, there's kind of complications of first love, um, looking at friendship and family dynamics. And I think all of these issues really put this book above so many other rom-com and kind of comedy um, humor books for teens that came out this year. Um, and as a side note, I can totally see this book being adapted um, for a Netflix um, series or movie. Um, it just has so much charm and sparkle to it um, that I can just completely see it being adapted for the screen. So definitely one of my favorites. All right, Britta, what's your next nonfiction pick? So it actually wasn't difficult at all for me to pick this one. I sort of knew going into this year that this was maybe going to be one of my favorite books, and it absolutely delivered. Um, I love Samantha Irby. She is a fat, black, chronically ill bisexual woman, and she somehow makes trauma hilarious. Uh, and I think she tackles like race, class, ability, sexuality, all of these really serious topics. Um, she has like as much to say as some of the more like literary picks. Uh, most people don't think of like humor essays as being a great source for that, but she's just tremendous. If you haven't read Samantha Irby, you may already know her work from other things. She wrote the absolute best episode of Shrill, the Lindy West memoir adaption for Hulu, um, the pool party episode. And I'm just so thrilled that she's working with Lisa Hanewald on season two of Two Good and Birdie. Um, but her her new book is called Wow, No Thank You, which as a title is just like a big 2020 mood. Could not have come at a better time. It was released early in the pandemic and was just exactly what I needed. She is our patron saint of staying indoors and like binge watching bad television fighting depression with carbohydrates. The book is literally dedicated to Wellbutrin. And so much of her writing focuses on like the pleasures and perils of living in a mortal human body. She's not immune to spending too much money on aspirational skincare and candles, but she's definitely not an Instagram influencer type peddling some idea of perfection. Like when her books include recipes, it's for how to make things like a garbage frittata from the vegetables that are going bad in the crisper. And I think that's the kind of thing that people love about her work. In her previous two books, um, Meaty and We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, she described being young and broke and going on terrible dates with straight men. And in this book, we find her more settled down. She's moved from Chicago to Kalamazoo. She's married a white lady. Uh, she has stepchildren. And I was sort of wondering, like, 
will this still be funny when there's less chaos in her life? But she's so incisive that she always finds something to complain about and definitely delivers on that in this one and was always kind of an old person, like does not miss the club and an outdoor music festival is basically her nightmare. I guess now what we're seeing is more of like a fish out of water story. Her wife is the sort of hippie that makes her own kombucha where Sam is more someone who would chug soda straight out of a two liter. And she has stepkids, which was not something that she ever really planned to be a part of her life. And she discusses at great length in the essay, detachment parenting, if that gives you an idea of what it's about. (laughs) And there are so few black and brown people in her new neighborhood and community that it, it gives off like creepy get out vibes. And I'm the sort of person who lives in like a tiny studio apartment and during quarantine specifically have flirted for maybe the first time with the idea of like, maybe it would be nice to have a garden and cheap rent. And like, what does that trade off look like moving to the suburbs? And this book is an excellent answer to that question. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Lots of Sam Irby fans at the library system for sure. Uh, So my second pick is Jess Walters' The Cold Millions, and this is a historical novel. It's set in Spokane primarily, although also in Montana and in Seattle, uh, so sort of across the Pacific Northwest in 1909, and it's about a pair of brothers. They are... um, basically day laborers. So they go downtown to Spokane and they get jobs with logging companies or mining companies and they work for a day and they get paid and then they ride the rails or they sleep in a baseball field. Um, So it's uh, two brothers, Gig and Rye. And Rye is the main character of this book. He's 16 and Gig, who's the older brother, is involved with the labor union movement, which is trying to make these really horrible jobs, poorly paying, very unsafe jobs, better for the men who have them. So there's a big day of labor action. Um, Gig is part of the uh, industrial workers of the world, better known as the Wobblies. And he is arrested. And in a sort of moment of uh, desperation, Rye takes his place and ends up being arrested too. And because he's only 16, he, he sort of becomes a poster child for this movement. And he's taken under the wing of this young woman who is a real historical character who was leading this free speech movement at the time. And um, she's fascinating. And the whole story sort of goes from there. And I really... There was so much for me to love about this story. First of all, I love reading historical fiction where you end up learning a lot, but it doesn't feel like you're learning a lot. And I grew up in Spokane and I learned so much about where I grew up reading this story. Um, He also does, um, Jess does in this book, what Vicky was talking about in Erin and Trotta Kelly's book, which is writing from multiple points of view and making those individual voices so strong. You never are in a chapter and forget who your narrator is. You always know exactly which character you're with. And there's a lot of characters in this book. So I think that takes a really sure authorial hand. And I love it when it's successful. Uh, This book has themes that feel so timely. Uh, It touches on income inequality and corruption and police brutality and free speech. So it, it feels timely, but it also has this sort of old-fashioned feel of like a big novel with lots of characters that's anchored by this wonderful relationship between these two brothers. Uh, So that's my other pick. Uh, It's The Cold Millions by Jess Walter. 
And we don't have time, unfortunately, to talk about all of the books on this list, but I did want to shout out, in addition to the conversation that we had with Nancy, we had a couple of the authors that are on this list either featured on the podcast or you can see events that we did with them on our YouTube channel. So we had Sarah Gailey, the author of Upright Women Wanted on the Long Distance Book Club episode, and Jasmine Guillory, who wrote Party of Two on the Staff Picks episode, We Love Inclusive Romance. So thank you so much, Vicki and Rachel, for being with us today to talk about best books. It's always fun to have other yeah. librarians on the show with yes, us. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank this you was for inviting me. I really liked it. We always end up at the end of the year with a few books that were published too late to be considered for best books. Emily, were there any late in the season uh, titles that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, so the big one I think that you'll see on some end of year list that didn't make it onto ours because of the timing of its publication was A Promised Land by President Obama. It's the first of his presidential memoirs, and it came out in late November. Um, so there was just no way that we could have even included it for staff members to vote on, um, despite it having pretty great reviews. The other one I think that came out a little bit late for the list is Piranesi by Susanna Clark. It's a little fantasy novel set in an unusual house uh, that seems to be sort of in Infinite. It's filled with statues and um, the tides come in and out of the house and there's clouds and weather inside the house. And the book is narrated through a series of journal entries by the main character, Piranesi. And he seems to be one of only two people living in this house. And it's a big mystery. How did he get there? What exactly is this place and who is the other? So this book is exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to read this year. It's super transporting. It's gripping without being too intense or scary and it just had a really fascinating mystery at the heart of it. How about you? Are there things that you wish that you would have shown up on the list, but were maybe a little too late? Yeah. So for me, the main one is um, Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America by Ijeoma Luo, uh, which just came out, hidden the bestsellers charts. And that's one that I'm still on hold for. Um, but I definitely think when I do get to read it, it'll be another one of my favorites. So that kind of wraps up our um, reading for this year. We are getting ready to launch our reading challenge for next year. So the categories uh, will be announced very soon, and you can check them out at kcls.org slash 10 to try. And we'll be back uh, early in the new year to talk about our goals for the next year. And if you want to check out all the best books lists, head to kcls.org backslash best books. So thanks as always for listening. Yeah, have a great holiday season. Happy reading. <laughs>